1994, a private school in Zimbabwe released their students into the yard for recess. During their playtime, a total of 62 children saw what they believed to be an extraterrestrial presence in the distance. Even to this day, those involved maintain their belief in what they saw. So today, we take a look at the puzzling aerial school UFO incident. This is Red Web. Welcome back, Task Force, to another episode of Red Web, the show all about the unsolved here in this world, from paranormal to true crime, and a little bit of everything in between. I'm your resident mystery enthusiast, Trevor Collins, and joining me, hearing this mystery for the very first time, Alfredo Diaz. This mystery took a turn hard left. I was okay. like, whoa, okay, a whole bunch of school kids and uh-huh, aliens. Uh-huh. What? How does, <laughs> how does everything find its way to aliens? I mean, I feel like it's the way of life. It's just the, uh, one of the natural laws that I feel like yeah. Red Web, law number one, everything <laughs> comes back to aliens. I mean, it's kids, you know, you could see like, you could have like three kids that see something and then all of a sudden, I mean, 60 is a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. So you're letting the whole school out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could definitely see how like three kids, like maybe like the three influ- uh, like influential kids in the class right, right. said they see something and it's like a wave that washes over all the other kids and they're like, we see it too. And also, uh-huh. like how, how you know, fit in. Yeah. They're the cool how, kids. How young are these, these kids? Because you could... You it's primary school. Primary, okay. So, so it has a, a range of, of grades. Okay, but still fairly young. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, then again, it's like... Not like you're in high school and like, oh, well, you guys are getting all let out of class now. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> true. Why did we get recess time in high school? It would have just been like standing around on our phones, leaning against walls. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> um, okay, so I mean, they're young though. Yes. Yeah, it's kids. Mm-hmm. Kids see and say the darnest things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see if they're you know what we have that has to do with like. What? Well, like any type of evidence yeah, or anything yeah. tangible or whatnot. I see there are papers flipped upside down, so right. I'm thinking there's photos, which... I've got some photos for okay. you. Okay, now, yes. we're, now we're cooking. This also just kind of reminds me of the scene from Signs where they had the videotape footage from Brazil. And oh, like, oh, from that birthday? Yeah, the birthday party, and Dude. there's like, uh, it's behind, and the thing walks out. Like, Ooh. Yeah, ooh, that was good stuff. I mean, except for when I was a kid watching that for the first time in my basement alone with the lights off. Yeah. I don't know why I did that stuff to yeah. myself. Blair Witch did that. Oh, man. Yeah, this is an interesting case. And I say that because when it comes to UFO stories, I love covering these. And each one has their own kind of footprint. They tend to follow a similar pattern where something comes down from the sky, a witness sees it, they sketch it. And then that's kind of the yeah. story. Or lights. Yeah. Or lights. Yeah. Sometimes you get extra additions of like there's radiation in the area or there's a burn mark or other other kind of unique elements. And then when it comes to the theories, Task Force, if you've been around the block with us, you know that it tends to then be, is this a hoax or is this real? And we're going to discuss a third theory on this particular case that I think is, is really fascinating. And it has a lot to do with the local culture of this particular sighting. And it kind of throws a wrench in things. Like for me, I was like, the first theory seems to, to be interesting, right? Like yeah. that they actually saw what they saw. And the next theory is, ooh, scientific, let's break it down. Okay, and then this like third that. theory could, and, and I was talking to Christian before we recorded, could answer a lot. And that's where I have some more photos for you. But again, I, I'm, just, I'm just out here teasing the yeah, end. Yeah, but before yeah. we get to the theories, let's talk about the incident. Okay. And as always, 
If you want a list of any of the sensitive topics we're going to cover in this episode, you can check out our description. All right. So September 16th, 1994, the Aerial School released its students into the yard for recess. Just a good little time. Aerial School is located in Rua, Zimbabwe, which is about 30 kilometers or 18 and a half miles southeast of the capital, Harare. At the time of this story, Rua was not officially recognized as a town and was primarily populated by farmers. Ariel is a private school with many of its students coming in from Harare, so many of the students do come from wealthier backgrounds. Just some backstory on the school. Now on this particular day, only one teacher was outside monitoring the children during recess as all the other teachers were having a staff meeting at around 10 a.m. Some of the children at this time saw a silver disc land on the hillside of the school ground about 100 meters away. 330 feet away or so, less than a football field. That's not far. Very close. That's not far at all. What would you do if you were outside, let's say you're 8 to 12, somewhere uh-huh. in there, mm-hmm. and you see this happen that close to your playground? 8 to 12? Mm-hmm. I'm questioning it. Oh, really? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't got the fight or flight no. kick in yet? as You've, a 34-year-old, right <laughs> when you turn around and ask me the question, uh-huh. I'm halfway down the block. Right, I go, hey, Fredo, what would you... Gone. I'm gone. There's a blurry outline not, in the smoke I'm, I'm not questioning you it, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I can find out from a distance. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Eyewitnesses will tell. Yeah, FaceTime exists, eyewitnesses. Yeah. Like you've got the childlike immortality, but now as a a grown man, you've got self-preservation. I don't need to see it. Uh huh. Like in real life, you you have me, right? I'll be there. (laughs) Cell phone out, capturing the first 4K footage of a UFO. Hey, look, someone's got to survive to remember you guys. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's his role. That's my role. (laughs) The memoriam. All right. So anyway, very close to the playground. And so, of course, the children ran to the edge of the property to see if they could get a closer look. It was described as a conventional, classic UFO look. You know, the very silvery disc, saucer-shaped, as you would describe. Yeah. What is it? it, A plate with an upturned cup on it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two plates, Mm -hmm. you know. um, Two saucer plates. Two saucer plates just cupped onto each other yep. and then a teacup on top. Teacup upturned on. I love that Task Force sends yeah. photos of We got a lot of photos of that. Yep. So it was kind of that look and some of the children said that they could see a glinting in the trees before this craft landed down. Many of the students then claimed to see small gray figures dressed in all black exit the craft. The children said that the beings had extremely large eyes, once again kind of matching that classic description that we've seen of, as they're called, the greys, right? Big Mm -hmm. heads, lower eyes, elongated black kind of oval eyes. Yeah. So, I mean, these are just, this this is wild, Mm -hmm. right? You're telling me these aliens pulled up broad daylight. Right. Recess time. Right. Then the whole crew got out and Uh just started exploring. They're kicking it, you know? Man. Yeah. So it's estimated that of the 250 students that were out in the schoolyard that day, an estimated... 250? 250 students. They had one teacher watching (laughs) 250 students. I'll be honest, man. It's like you want a full-time job. Yeah, you know what you want to know what I'm doing? I'm leading the charge against that teacher. That's what I'm doing. Okay, so so we're all witnessing this craft land down, and you're taking on the teacher. Taking on the teacher. With a grouping of 250 other students. Okay, I can witness it. Now, of these 250 students, an estimated 62 children between the ages of 6 and 12 witnessed this craft landing, witnessed these beings exiting the craft. 
And we'll get into kind of the details of each of their experiences, but there's some snags in the story. As you kind of indicated, I think your your gut instinct is always is right on. Children are impressionable, and when they hear the story of others, you know, the story can spread. But suffice to say, a lot of people saw that craft. When the students explained what they saw to their teachers, of course they were met with skepticism, but when they went home and continued to talk about these things with their parents, their parents then became rightfully worried, some of them extremely upset, they contacted the teachers, and some of them even came to the school the next day to say, hey, what is going on? Are we losing control here? Or I'm just worried that my kids are, some are scared, some are seeing things. It's, you know, a little problematic. Now, the incident was then reported on ZBC Radio, Zimbabwe Broadcasting Corporation. Soon after the incident, and local UFOologist and representative of MUFON, or M-U-F-O-N, we've talked about them before, but the Mutual UFO Network, Cynthia Hind, asked the school for more information. So immediately, this is published on the radio, talked about, and then immediately, as always, kind of caught on like a wildfire. Other sources, other news networks, other individuals that were interested in this kind of thing flocked over to kind of, hey, what's going on here? Can we get your stories? Yeah. Let's let's dig in. So this prompted more of a thorough investigation by Ariel School. Uh, BBC was actually involved and Hind as well. And this was just a few days after the sighting. So memories are still relatively fresh. The sightings, the sketches that people were making. But again, some snags and I'll get to those. I'm curious to see if they went to the landing site, if they saw any type of like, I don't know, divots or anything mm. like that, you know, com- you know compressed ground, if Great they thinking. took uh, radioactive readings or whatnot, mm-hmm. anything of the sort. Yeah. Not often that people take it seriously enough to go out to the spot and yeah. go, okay, like in the Barty and Betty Hill case, right? They were driving along, they saw UFO land. I think they also saw other aircraft scrambled and things. And so immediately investigators are looking at the radar, I think they went out into the woods and started using Geiger counters to see if they could measure any sort of radiation. I love when they do that. They take it yeah. seriously and they investigate. I will spill some of the beans. A lot yeah. of this is interviews and anecdotal experiences. You're right. We yeah. didn't get a lot of tangible evidence. I'm not going to like tease mm-hmm, that piece because mm-hmm. that just doesn't come into play here, unfortunately. Okay. But this is where the investigation and the stories kind of start to expand. So on September 19th, three days after the incident, you have Tim Leach of BBC. He visits the aerial school and he interviewed student witnesses. Apparently, the interviews were so intense that Leach has been quoted as saying, quote, I could handle war zones, but I could not handle this. I don't know exactly what he means. Christian, I don't know if he, like, I mean... he expands on that further. I know there's an active article that you can read, but... Is it the fervor that the children have? With yeah, the were the kids like, just like telling the most intense emotional stories? From what we could find, he didn't elaborate on what exactly he meant by that. So I don't want to speculate as to right. okay. anything beyond that. But looking at the, just anecdotally speaking for mm-hmm. me, having watched some of the interviews, they seem fairly normal. Mm-hmm. Normal kids, right? From the ones in my I was mind, able to see. you know, the dude walks up, it's like, what's up, little man? What'd you see? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, let me t-. And the kid is just like, and I saw a thing yeah. in the sky. And he goes, I like aliens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he becomes the new I like turtles. You know? I was talking to my friend. We were playing handball at the end. I saw like a reflection in the sky. Yeah. Like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was what I was getting from when I was watching the interviews. Yeah. Okay. I didn't see them all. It's, I just it's to, cool that the actual interviews are watchable. Mm-hmm. Though. Yeah. I just wanted to dig into that because it does sound very alarmist. It does. And I just wanted to kind of 
acknowledge that. But otherwise, it could just be a journalist being a journalist and trying to get their clicks yeah, and trying to be like, this was, this was really intense. You know, it's hard to say. But coming back to Hind, she asked the students to draw what they saw on, well, actually on the 20th. So just a few days later, and I have a few of those sketches. These are also in the BBC article entitled The School Kids Who Said They Saw Aliens. So a couple of these sketches have been floating around, but you can kind of get an idea of the trees they saw, the shape of the aircraft, as well as the aliens themselves. As always, Task Force, as he digests these photos, yeah. you can see these on our social media at RedWebPod. I mean, the first one's like a drawing that I would draw. You know, stick figures of a bunch of kids, and then the trees, and then, uh, yeah, an alien. Mm-hmm. For sure. You've got some text, I guess, off to the side, through some clouds. Second one looks like a, uh, like a plate on discs. I mean... Like a plate on like stilts, actually. Yeah, like the landing gear was yeah, a very landing gear long. Seems so like, yeah, very long and thin legs, mm-hmm. spider like. That seemed like a common trend. I that think. bottom drawing, someone's an artist. Yeah, they got a little bit of shading, a little some bit of shading depth happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, damn, that one looks like someone. There's like the UFOs in the tree lines, and it looks like someone's ready to just take on. That UFO, yeah, I or like ready to greet the UFO, yeah. And I couldn't tell if that was one of the the aliens that they saw, like silhouetted. Oh, if that was true, like, but it looks like it's facing, yeah, the it UFO. Yeah, it almost looks as like opposed to that's me confronting it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but again, they're kids, you know. Right, exactly. Like I was going to sign their name Brian. Like when but, I would draw Spider Man, I would make sure you know Jupiter was in play. That's where my mind was at. I'm thinking, you know, sometimes he's swinging off buildings, but why is he not cl- like? Clattering into the windows. He must be shooting straight up. And what's straight up? You got space. He's swinging off planets and stuff. That so I don't think so. A ma- base. I don't think Spider-Man has the technology. <laughs> I don't think he has the technology. Not enough web in the world. But what I'm saying is, sometimes you start with like, I'm gonna draw this. But by the time mm, the drawing is right, done, yeah, you expand. You know, these six-year-olds, seven-year-olds have filled in a lot of gaps that yeah. their minds just kind of wandered. To. I mean, I'm just thinking about the number of times I've played like uh, party games, mm-hmm. like uh, Jackbox and Drawful. Right, I'll have like a minute to draw. I draw this childlike photo, and then I go. I still got thirty seconds, and then I start adding stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> you and got all, bored, and then so all you... of a sudden, it's like multiple scenes happening. Yeah, because um, you just keep elaborating. Because why not? Yeah, you already have your canvas. I also want to add just for the just for the fun of the lore. Um, I drew an anatomically correct Spider Man <laughs> who was swinging by his butt, so his butt was stuck out his suit, and I got in trouble. <laughs> like, that's what spiders do comes out the butt not their little hands this man is just a logical thinker <laughs> I'm a philosopher <laughs> yeah. you know drawing yeah. spider butts punished for it <laughs> so misunderstood they're holding me back but <laughs> let's get back to the real drawings at hand okay but as was seen and as you kind of saw I, I don't have all their photos but most of the students drew something eerily similar to each other even if they weren't drawing them in the same room or in the same vicinity they came up with very similar looks oh well that's interesting Mm -hmm. um i mean that in itself i mean these two saucers look different yeah yeah one's a little rounder with a dome on top with some round windows like a submarine but i mean i will say if I was in that situation and there's a ton of kids drawing the same thing. Um, mm, 
I'm yeah. questioning it. Right. I'm sick for a week. You're going home and pinning these on your cork Find board. out what the hell is going on here. Right. I think what, like, they are slightly different, but only if you look really detailed, because what really stands out to me is none of these are like a triangle. None of these are like an airplane. None That's of these true. have all their engines at the back. Like, they're all broadly similar shapes. And I think that that stands out, because then, then you can kind of, like, soften the artistic ability of various yeah. children and find a similar trend. Different ages. Now, one of the kids, Guy G, told Hind that he, quote, could see the little man, about a meter tall, was dressed in a black, shiny suit, that he had long black hair, and his eyes, which seemed lower on the cheek than ours, were large and elongated. That's the first time I ever heard about, like, aliens having hair, really. Yeah, Like, when, when do you ever hear, like, yeah, the alien walked out, and it was like a Pantene Pro-V commercial, right, and right. it was and luscious shook, and long. Mm, and they you were know what I mean? Aliens with hair? That's questionably more gross though honestly a little it's, bit for some think, reason i don't know why like about, gray, the gray skin like yeah, yeah like it just seems grosser to me that it has hair right yeah oh yeah pantene commercial though i like the shiny it's got the, the what is that glisten on it now what's interesting and i and i do appreciate at the attempt to kind of Address this from a cultural perspective, because Hind believed that depending on the children's cultural background and ethnicity, they interpreted the sighting differently. Now, it is worth noting that this school had a large, as she says, quote, cross-section of Zimbabweans. There were black African children from several tribes. There were Asian children whose grandparents were from India. And there were white children, mostly Zimbabwean-born, but whose parents were either from South Africa or Britain. And of course, within that, there were various mixed races. And so from that, she what she's trying to do, and I'm trying to remove her biases from the picture to be totally okay. transparent, but I think what she's trying to do is say, everyone has different belief systems and different like cultural backgrounds, and how does that impact their experience with what they saw that day? Or is there a unified kind of experience despite that? And I think that that's an interesting kind of attempted angle. Also just like the religions that could come into play too, right? 100%. Absolutely. Like, oh, it's something from heaven or it's something from this God or right. et cetera. Right. For example, some of the black African students believed the beings that they saw were called Tokolosh or other folklore creatures from the area. Tokolosh are evil beings typically depicted like goblins and come from South African mythology. And they are said to be summoned to wreak havoc on others, but are said to scare children. And so there you have like an example mm -hmm. where they're kind of grounding in reality or in their folklore what these beings might be so maybe they aren't aliens but instead they're like essentially kind of simplifying it like a cryptid right i mean look i don't know cryptid cultures or ways or whatnot right. but i got the main ones a cryptid is far-fetched as it is already you uh -huh. tell me a cryptid is rolling up in a vehicle <laughs> now if bigfoot rolled up you know, I'm talking like on a Harley Davidson or like a. Then I'd understand old... why he was hidden for so long. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know what I mean? No, I'm serious. <laughs> well, one, I go, why show yourself now, Bigfoot, and why show yourself to me? Right. right. <laughs> First and foremost. <laughs> but like, I'd be like, oh, okay, like you, you have a, a, a right. decently high IQ and you just were playing it smart, hiding all sure. these years. I think it's an interesting point. Like, no matter what's rolling up in a big, shiny saucer like vehicle, I think I'm with you. I'm keeping a distance. I don't know what they're about. I don't know what they're for. And so, I don't know why they're revealing themselves yeah. now. Some high-tech smart gremlins. You, no, <laughs> you normally see gremlins as like low IQ, just kind of minions. Right. Making but, a mess of things. Yeah. 
Now, another individual came in November. This was Dr. John E. Mack, a psychiatry professor from Harvard, and he visited Ariel School to investigate and interview some of the students. Now, in the 90s, Mack became interested in the psychology of UFO and extraterrestrial sightings, once again, kind of bringing the psychological, scientific element to common sightings. Interestingly, Mack was under investigation by Harvard at the time of the aerial UFO incident due to his research on UFO witnesses. For what it's worth, this investigation ceased after 14 months because Mack had not committed any sort of ethical or legal misconduct to even warrant an investigation in the first place. I do think perhaps that when you start speaking about UFOs, a lot of traditional, whether it be schools, sciences, or or other companies, start to get a little like, hmm... You're starting to tread into pseudoscience or yeah. you're starting to tread into something that could put a damper on our reputation. So maybe that's why they put on an investigation on him. Either way, he was there to talk to some of the children about their experiences. In fact, when he was talking to them, some of the children told Mac about, quote, messages that were sent by these beings. One girl said, quote, he never said anything. It was just the eyes. And when asked about what sense she got from the eyes, she simply said, quote, he was interested. And I think, and I, I'm not sure if I said this earlier, but I think some of the kids had shared that they had received messages telepathically when they had witnessed these beings kind of exiting the vehicle or kind of around the vehicle. So these are things, these aren't things that have been spoken to them. These are kind of messages that they said that they were receiving. There was another student named Emma who told Mac, quote, I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this planet and we mustn't get too technologed. Basically saying like, less than the technology, but that's the word that she used, technologed. Then there was another student named Francis and they claimed that they said, quote, pollution mustn't be. I mean, it's all still kind of in the same genre, Mm -hmm. right? Which is protect the planet. Mm -hmm. And that's something interesting to me. I mean, on one hand, that does seem to lend lend some credence like there is a thesis here there's a focused message it wouldn't be super eclectic if they if some entity showed up they wouldn't start hitting everybody with different directions yeah but on the other hand there's something to look into why are all the kids having the same like i would want to be like what's the topics in school right now are they primed for this topic yeah you gotta check all that stuff you start looking around to just make sure is this an authentic message or does this come from something else i mean hell Kids are very heavily influenced by others and their surroundings. That being said, this is very succinct. Mm-hmm. And then they'd, have some, they'd be some real organized kids to like, it's getting to the point where I'm like, these kids are really organized. And I yeah. don't think like they're six to 12 year olds. Yeah. Six to 12 year olds yeah. are uh, pulling this type of thing off. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah, now we're getting into the realm of like, okay, like maybe there's something here. There could be something here. This episode of Red Web is brought to you by our first members. That's right, you, Task Force, can become a first member. Yes, you can. Get your official badge. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll check your name Imaginary off. badge. Right, we'll, we'll hand it over to But it's to official. You mentally. Uh, but being a first member is the number one way to support this show. To sign up for first, all you got to do is go to redwebpod.com slash first. That's going to outline all the goodies that you get. But succinctly, you get a bonus episode of Case Files. You get wow. access to our Discord and Damn. live events. We have a live no stream way. every month. Yes, we do. Sometimes we have discounts on merch. You get points and Save rewards in that sense. Money. Absolutely. And again, it is kind of our Patreon model. You also get this content ad-free. So you won't even hear me say this again. 
except for all the thank yous that you're going to get with those bonus goodies. Thank you, 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 thank you. Yeah, just a few, just to give you a preview of what that could look like. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, first is the number one way to support the show. Thank you all so much in advance. If you want to become a first member, it would mean the world to us. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is not your typical razor company, boys. I know you're growing your beards in various thicknesses. We all need to shave, though. By the way, Henson Shaving is an aerospace parts manufacturer. They got an impressive resume to their name. And they're also bringing precision engineering to your daily shave. They use standard dual-edge blades, giving you that classic old-school shave for around 3 to $5 per year to replace the blades. Oh, I'm spending way too much money on blades. Yes, you might be. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What was that number? Say it again. Good question. That is 3 to $5 per year to replace your blades. Good Lord. Yeah, I'm wasting so much money. So absolutely. much money. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, listen up, boys. I took a package of these home, and I've been shaving like a king ever since. I get that smooth, supple shave. And it's like that old school thing where it's like a, it's like a safety razor, right, where you have that double-edged mm. blade. It's not like uh, one of those other plasticky ones that gives you all those ingrown hairs and, you know... You're fighting to get that close shave. It's good stuff. Oh, man. I just, I'm not on my shave game. And I'll tell you, my girlfriend's been kissing these baby skin smooth cheeks and not a single ingrown hair, which I have problems with. So thank you, Henson, for that. Now it's time to say no to those subscriptions and yes to that razor that's going to last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com slash redweb to pick up that razor for you and use code redweb to let them know that we sent you. And you're going to get two years worth of blades for free with your razor. Just make sure that you add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to h-e-n-s-o-n-s-h-a-v-i-n-g.com slash redweb and use code redweb. This episode is also sponsored by Uncommon Goods. Uncommon Goods it makes your holiday shopping stress-free. They scour the globe for you, and they find the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's your secret Santa or your entire family, from art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar. Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Fredo, you and I have both shopped Uncommon Goods. Let me tell you a little bit of what I got in my little goodie bag. Okay, I got essential oils that I can spritz into my shower, and it's like a nice citrus lavender so I can, you know, real relaxing in the suds. I also got one of those Viewmasters. It's one of those things that you hold up to your eyes and you click the button and it goes through a slideshow of photos. Oh, yeah, of photos. I loved those. Yeah. yeah, I had that as a kid. It's from 1939, originally. I didn't know that, but oh. it, they told me on the website. But you can upload your own images to it, so I just leave it on the coffee table. It's kind of a cool thing. So Uncommon Goods, they look for the products that are high-quality, unique, and often handmade here in the U.S., and they make the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. Plus, shopping Uncommon Goods means supporting artists and small independent businesses. Like I said, we've shopped there before, but I love their assortment. It's very unique, and there's always something for anybody on your gift list. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash redweb. That's uncommongoods.com slash redweb to get 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited-time offer. Uncommon Goods. They're all out of the ordinary. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by Microdose. You've probably heard of the word microdosing. If not, now you have. Just know that all sorts of people are microdosing to feel healthier and perform better. So let's talk about microdosing. You know that just right feeling when your body and mind are really at peace and in sync? Like after a workout or after a nice long shower, when you're relaxed, you're focused, you got that little energy going on. Being in the zone, some might call it. Well, microdosing can help you get into that zone a little bit easier and perhaps stay there longer. I've taken a look at the microdosing website, boys, and I like how efficient it is. They don't have a plethora of products. You don't have to worry about getting 
overwhelmed by what's going on. They're pretty focused. They're laser focused on one type of product and the varying different doses that might be interesting to you. So I love how simple the user experience is. And because they're focused on one product, you know that they're going to do it right. If you'd like to learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and you can use promo code REDWEB to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Once again, that's microdose.com. Use code REDWEB. Microdose.com. Promo code REDWEB for 30% off. Now, that's kind of the end of the eyewitness accounts, the investigation, and the story of the craft. There isn't much about it taking off, anything else going down. Um, but now there's more information to talk about, and that's where I want to start talking about the theories. Of course, I, I kind of teased as to each one. We're going to start with one of the major theories, which is that these were aliens. Because to this day, the aerial UFO incident remains a convincing extraterrestrial sighting to many believers. And with 62 total witnesses, many of those people are still sharing their stories to this very day, as in this year, 2023. And just having 62 total witnesses in general is pretty unique for That's any sighting. Gotta be like the... Uh, well, I guess there's some there's some sightings that we've covered where like flew over towns and stuff like that. Sure. But. I mean, that's got to be the largest gathering of people. Yeah, it's definitely one of the witnessed. larger ones. I mean, the other ones I think of are like Roswell or the Fight for LA or whatever that's called, where they started firing on the sky at night because a lot of people oh, yeah, thought yeah. they saw something. But how, how terrifying would that be if you just like walked outside the parking lot and you saw like 15 jets scrambling across the Dude, sky? Dude, terrifying for any reason. I mean, sometimes they fly over a football game and I go, hold on, what's going on? Yeah. But yeah. uh, see that many jets scrambling because it could be anything, right? It yeah. could be uh, an attack on U.S. soil. It could be sci-fi. I start to go. Well, it's the military. They got to know more than me. And if they're yeah. scrambling, flying around, I'm not driving that way. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right. I'm driving the opposite way. Right. I'm going northbound if they're southbound or whatever. So hind, I again, a lot of the people that, that investigate these kind of cases do have their biases, whether they're believers themselves and want to kind of prove that or whether right. they're more skeptic yeah. or whether they're more scientifically driven. Uh, that's something I kind of want to recognize before we really dive into some of these theories. But with that said, Hind believes that their experience was legitimate and claimed that due to their rural location, they likely would not have had access to movie theaters and alien media. However, many of the students were in fact from wealthy families as Ariel was a private school and probably did have televisions. You don't need just movie theaters. No, not at all. It's also that a lot of the students commuted from Harare, which is the largest city in Zimbabwe. One can't simply assume that just because this school is in a rural area that they don't have access to some types of media. I mean, there's radio, comics, television, even physical copies of movies can readily make themselves available to a lot of these students. So there is, again, we're going to address the wrinkles with some of the theories, but we'll continue on. She interviewed the students in groups, and this is something I kind of, I think we both kind of stepped into earlier. Like, when you are working with a bunch of students, especially young kids, and you're interviewing them in groups, you're going to start priming them in different ways, yep. whether you mean to or not. Memory conformity is like an actual thing that happens, and that can occur when people are interviewed in groups. It could lead to memory errors, false memories. It can lead you to be suggested that your memory had other elements to it. In fact, simply recalling things in the moment your emotional state, where you're at, recontextualizing your memory can actually change it. Our brains are very flawed, but we're also very pattern-driven. And so all of those psychological elements 
included, you start to think, well, very active-minded, creative children, all hearing these stories together, you start to unify around a story. Well, even... Like, even as an, uh, an adult, right? Like, if I'm to see something, already I'm starting to forget mm-hmm. the details. And then on top of that, if I sit down with a group of people who we've all seen the same thing, and I'm sitting there saying, well, I kind of remember seeing this, and someone else says with confidence that they saw a different version of what I saw, I'm more inclined to kind of follow that up because right. it's like, for me, it's like, well... I'm a little hazy on it, but this person clear as day is like, this is what I saw. Boom, right. The confidence right there. And yeah. so I'm starting to lean towards that camp in the way I'm thinking. And already that's starting to add pieces of their memory to the haziness of my memory, et cetera. So yeah, no, I see that. Yeah. It's weird that they like interviewed them as groups. I mean, it's a lot of kids, a but lot then of kids. They, but then again, like to do it as groups. Right. Like, we, I, I, feel I think like it's, it's just a baseline knowing that kids are so influenced by each other. So like why why is a group 100% it would have been nice that if even just a handful of kids were interviewed more individually to get some sort of baseline yeah you know but you're right and we'll we'll talk more about this particular angle in the next theory but another wrinkle the stories of the aliens environmental messages were only reported on after the children had met with Dr. Mac and once again that was a few days later but Mac had an interest in environmentalism himself and arrived months i i said days he arrived months after the incident. And it's worth noting that memories and recall fade with time, of course. I think we all hopefully know that. I hope there's no one confident enough to be like, never. But anyway, every time you remember an event, your brain alters the memory. It's kind of like a game of telephone. And this can lead, like I said in the previous kind of wrinkle, uh, to some false memories. Donna Bridge, the lead author of an article on the topic in Journal of Neuroscience, told Northwestern Now, quote, If you remember something in the context of a new environment and time, or if you are even in a different mood, your memories might integrate the new information. Though it can be argued that because Mac specialized in childhood psychology, they may have felt more comfortable opening up to him. Mac also believed in UFO stories in the past, and so he does have a biased angle. All this is to say, he might have been a warm presence to the kids, he might have imposed his bias in there, and also because he had a lot of interest in environmentalism, did he impose that on what the kids said? Did he ask leading questions or was this coming from the kids? It's really hard to say, but these are all factors that are worth thinking about. I mean, look, you can take like a skilled government agent and another grown adult and they could coerce them into thinking a certain way, planting seeds, right, to, to that grow and have that yep. uh, certain ideologies and whatnot. You, you know what I mean? You could do that to a kid super right. easy, right? They're very... um moldable in terms of like you're just growing up so like you're absorbing everything you're influenced by everything and if a grown person can be influenced by a skilled agent like yeah for sure you know these environmentalists he's a believer of aliens mm-hmm. there's going to be leading questions there sure or or conclusions drawn that yeah fit perhaps a motive instead of like what did you see it's just, it could be as simple as like what did the aliens look like yeah. And that's very, that's taking the kid down a very different lane. Right, right. Or, you, I mean, there's a lot of other leading questions. I didn't need yeah. to give any more examples, but let's suffice to say, yeah, right. The last thing I want to say on this, it's worth noting that many of the students have not reported other sightings before or since this event in 1994, which is very common in the UFO alien kind of eyewitness accounts and stories that we've covered in the past. I don't know if that lends credence to the story or if that, like, polls kind of substantial 
belief from it, but it is interesting, to me at least, if someone sees something that they don't repeatedly see. It's not like a boy that cries wolf thing. Nobody else has seen anything of those 62 kids since then. Moving on to our next theory. Many believe that the aerial UFO incident is a classic case of mass psychogenic illness, popularly known as mass hysteria. We've talked about this in a previous episode on the Dancing Plague of 1518, where a lot of people were suddenly dancing and they couldn't stop themselves and right. it seemed to spread like an epidemic without much answer until it kind of just petered out. A whole episode on that if you want to check that out. But suffice to say, it is a mass psychogenic illness and it refers to a situation where people in a group start feeling sick, usually sick, at the same time, even though there's no physical or environmental reason for them to feel sick. Sometimes it could be other things like the dancing or perhaps seeing an alien craft. Now, this scenario can be diagnosed when symptoms of an illness start to spread around the population without a source. In such cases, despite the lack of an origin, the symptoms seem to spread like an epidemic. In fact, I think in the, in the case of the Dancing Plague of 1518, that's more of a psychogenic illness, and it seems that a common thread for these and their origin is either having pre-existing superstitious populations or having a population that is in a time of high shared stress. Mm -hmm. In the case of Ariel, the source of stress is unknown. However, as mentioned previously, some of the population of Ruwa does have superstitious beliefs. And this could have been a situation that kind of like started to fold onto itself as kids believed other kids and, and it kind of spread. I think your take on how kids are impressionable, especially if they have other friends that they trust, it can easily spread. Yeah. According to De Mobley Kokoda, a research psychologist from the University of Malawi, cases of mass psychogenic illness are common in African schools. They say, quote, the psychosocial environment plays a crucial role in the occurrence of mass hysteria in developing countries, end quote. So in his mind, this may explain why the students still believe what they saw as being extraterrestrial beings that day, despite perhaps having more understandable explanation underneath. As pointed out by Brian Dunning of Skeptoid just two days before the aerial sighting, now this is really interesting, there was an influx of UFO sightings already reported in Zimbabwe, but there's a perfectly rational explanation for that. Okay, do tell. Yeah, so around 9 p.m. on September 14th, the Zenit 2 rocket re-entered the atmosphere. It caused a fire across the sky as it broke up into pieces. ZBC Radio reported that there were countless UFO reports that night so extraterrestrials and UFO crafts could have kind of been on people's minds leading into this incident. Yeah, a primer. Exactly. These kids might have been primed because it hit, like, their national radio. Yeah. But again, it had a very reasonable explanation. A rocket coming into the atmosphere, it broke up. People saw that, extrapolated conclusions, and then that spread through the populace. Others believe that what the children at aerial school saw was the result of a prank. Some former students have claimed that they started it, and the fear experienced by students might have been so strong as a result of this prank that it resulted in people believing that this was a UFO sighting, that it was substantial, and then that it spread. The fear kind of took hold and made it more real. I mean, but to that, it's like, okay, you're, you're, you're telling me that you started this. This mm -hmm. was a prank. Cool. Where's the materials right. that you use to How create do this it? prank? Right? Yeah. Where's the wig? Where's the, where's the, I don't know, the cardboard wrapped in foil? Uh -huh. Like, where's all that? What's interesting about this is that it starts to open the door to the final theory that I want to talk about, that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But it starts to 
give a more grounded human-based answer. It moves away from the psychology, it moves away from extraterrestrials, and it starts to go, no, something a little bit more practical could be happening, whether it be a prank or something else. And I'm very excited, to, like I said, to get to that answer, to get your take on it. But either way, as we kind of conclude this particular theory, a lot of people still genuinely believe what they saw that day. And the main wrinkle in it being an actual event is that the teacher that was out that day didn't see anything. And while 62 students did, you have almost 200 other students that were outside with them that didn't see anything that day. Doesn't necessarily mean that the other 62 students didn't see anything, but it does start to make you wonder, was it a real event or is there something like an explanation behind it? I mean, you still had a good percentage of those kids seeing it, right? Right. I mean, the kids, they're not sitting around waiting for something to happen. They're running around with their friends. They're playing games. They're focused on other things. Sure. And so, granted, this event took place close enough, but not danger close, right? It wasn't just outside the fence where it's like, how could not, you know, how could not everyone have seen this or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. To say that, like, well, the rest of the kids didn't see it. I'm like, I don't know. We all grew up. You're not focused on what's beyond anything that's in front of you. Uh-huh. For sure. Yeah. Now that leads us to the final theory. Interesting. And it is grounded in reality and it has a perfectly reasonable explanation. Unlike a lot of other UFO stories that we've encountered, it, it, it leaves it up to the listener to go, is this real? Are you a believer? Are you a skeptic? And that's kind of the bifurcation. Now I had no idea about this kind of this more grounded background because it was more, more of a recent theory. So blogger Gideon Reed proposed in 2022 that the aerial students saw puppets that day and confused them for aliens based on the UFO mania, if you want to call it that, that was going on at that time. Kind of, again, taking an element from the previous theory that they might have been primed to see and talk about right. something that day, but they're actually seeing something real. So... Interestingly, starting in 1987, there was an organization called the African Research and Educational Puppetry Program, and they used puppets to demonstrate lessons. In particular, they used their puppets to teach children about AIDS in a more accessible way. They toured Puppets Against AIDS across South Africa to bring awareness to the disease and clear up some misconceptions about its transmission. The puppets used strongly resemble the description that the children had for the beings that they saw. They were painted with dark gray skin and had large cartoonish eyes. In some of the drawings, actually I have a couple of photos of them for, for you in just a second, but in some of the drawings of the UFOs, they had windows that greatly resembled the windows of the van that the AREPP team drove. And to be clear, now you can take a look at those photos. While some of these puppets were puppets as most of us in the task force might be thinking of, traditional like hand puppets, mm -hmm. some of them were also large costumes that resembled puppets but were worn by individuals. Right. So they'd be like people-sized entities if you want to say that. But like they would have large cartoonish heads on an otherwise human body and at a distance could create some interesting proportions. And so basically succinctly is to say that this van pulled up not too far away from the school the people in these costumes with their puppets got out and because these kids were primed to see a UFO or it was already in the, kind of the zeitgeist, they saw this and thought that it was a UFO with aliens coming out. Well, why were they parked outside? Could have been a planned demonstration, though Christian, I would 
I, I, I would imagine the school would have had something planned. Yeah, the, we, yeah, that's that's the wrinkle. We couldn't find anything about yeah a, a confirmed appearance that they were having at the school uh-huh. or some type of yeah demonstration. That's where it gets a little murky. Got it. I feel like they would have just came one if this was a demonstration. They would have came forward and been like, "Hey, oh sorry, that was us." Mm-hmm. If it had anything to do with the school, the school would have came forward, especially because they were getting backlash from the like parents. Right. That's an easy way to squash that concern. Yeah, that's true. So. I think for me, it's just like, what the hell? If that, you know, if that van was there and those puppets were there, the yeah. heck were they doing there? Yeah. So you don't believe, I mean, I can see it from a description angle. I can see angle. from a description angle. It's spot on. Yeah. I just, but I think you're, we need a reason why I they're think there. You're right. I feel like if nothing else, and I'm maybe being cynical, that this, this group could have taken this as a moment to say, like, hey, we, we can get this group, this education, this awareness to spread by saying, hey, this isn't an alien encounter. This was, we just roll up in the area and it was a misunderstanding. And so suddenly national radio is going, oh no guys, it's the AREPP. You right. know, and this is what they stand for. This is what they're talking about. Credit or, would have or, been taken easily. Or, or you're right. The school could have been like, no, nah, it's just a, it was just this. And they had costumes and and, and the kids are creative. You yeah. Know? I mean, this visually matches right. perfectly. There's just the big wrinkle of like, what the heck were they doing? It's that there? human element that you're that you're totally right. Like someone should have just right. been like, oh no, that was this. And it's a school with younger kids, so it's less. I don't know. Maybe if it was a high school, I could see them rolling up randomly and just be like, you know, we're doing a demonstration and mm-hmm. we want to surprise them or whatever. But like kids that young, it's usually very well organized and documented because you know younger kids. Um, For sure. To play devil's advocate. You know, because this theory was only proposed last year in 2022, what if oh. the agency, the the AREPP and the school just never made the connection? Never like made the they connection. They never saw a reason to, hey, claim, hey, that was us. Yeah. Because based on what the students saw, oh, maybe they dismissed you, mm-hmm, it. He's got me back. He's got me back. It could, yeah, just like there hasn't been enough time for this to kind of have spread around and for... I mean, obviously, some of the students are now adults, and so they can still speak to their experience. I don't know where the teachers might be because age is a thing. But, yeah, I I would be very fascinated if any of these individuals from this organization or from the school could be like, oh, that makes sense and has documentation to maybe show for it. If Hmm. it was being shown everywhere, though... Even then... Yeah, I don't don't know how prolific it was. I mean, that's still to say, then, that, like, even if they didn't know... If they were there for the school, then the school faculty would know. And yeah. the school faculty was aware of the alien situation. So you just put two and two together. I well, just we would... had these people here this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw, I mean, this is, this is a very big, like. What if they just happened you know to be I mean? driving by? It, they this is, this out is on something. your mind for like a week. Yeah. You had people over with costumes and doing a demonstration. And so it wouldn't be, I don't know. Like it's you fair. make that connection pretty quick. I feel Very like fair, yeah. What if they were just driving by and hopped out, did a thing, saw a bunch of kids, and they were like, we got to get out of here. I just wish the teacher outside saw something and could have really put two and two together. Yeah, I was no hoping kids, for that. No kids, that's a van. Because this this particular sketch, there's one that the that we have a photo of the AREPP van, and then we have a, a sketch that's a similar boxy shape, and we have human proportions on this, this another silhouetted creature. Yeah, I just don't see them doing like a, a random pop-up unannounced little like demonstration and so if it had to do with the school then the faculty would have been involved and the faculty would have put that together because you get i mean the school had media swarming them 
They had parents warming them. They had all kinds of different um, professionals coming in. You know what I mean? At that point, it, it, it's consuming your thoughts, your life, your week. Yeah. And like, so you'd be like, I don't know. Maybe it was the people that we hired to come in this week for an event. Yeah. yeah. Like even if they themselves didn't make the connection with the, what the kids were saying and what the van was, was or what the van could have been, it could have been just like people are swarming them and they go, I don't. We had this going on that week, right. I guess. Like yeah, that, that's about You're it. You're looking at what 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 was going on that week. Yeah, and it's usually like maybe one thing, right? That's like, very fair. Like I I do see your POV, but I think the wrinkle for me is then the faculty would know. Right. Very right. good point. Right. And they would have put that together. Dang. Now I hope that you know, a couple months go by and then people start to hear more about this particular theory, and we can either debunk or verify. This is. I just have to say it's refreshing and it's nice when there is not like a, you either believe it or you don't, when there's something a little bit more practical or an, a, just a different angle that's taken. But otherwise, this has been the aerial school UFO incident. Very fast. I love covering me some some aliens. It's a very unique UFO sighting. Yeah. And yeah. again, I, I love covering aliens just because I'm big on sci-fi. Yeah. Like I love that genre, whether it be entertainment or stories or, or whatnot. That and I like I've said a million times, like, come on. We can't be the only living creature in the universe. Yeah. There's gotta man. be a living creature out there somewhere. Like intelligent enough to like find us uh -huh. and interact with us. I don't know about that. Really? You know what I mean? Like that's that's a big ass. That's a lot of evolution 100%. and a lot of nature having to like nurture. Oh yeah. But like there are creatures out there somewhere. Why haven't we heard of them? No, oh, filming the Fermi paradox. I'll, I'll leave you with one dark thought. And I read this over the weekend because this is what I do in my free time sometimes. There was a theory that tried to answer the Fermi paradox, and I'm sure there's a name for it, but it basically said that what if there's a sufficiently advanced species out there, right? Like mm -hmm. some species, and we've seen this on this planet, when they come across something that scares them or could threaten them, could, they immediately attack the thing, right? A lion sees another lion and they just go for each other. What if there's a an advanced species out there that as soon as they catch signal of an advanced species, they just take a planetoid shaped object, like they just take a moon and then chuck it at light speed at that planet or at that direction to, just to get rid of them, right? And so we haven't heard from anybody because someone's out there picking them all off and maybe there's something already heading our way because our signals have been out there and we don't hear from them because they're going to come pick us off. Well, I mean, technically you could apply that to the dinosaurs, right? Maybe they realize that the dinosaurs have creatures and then they chuck a meteorite at us. <laughs> oh, God. You know what I mean? I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm with you. I absolutely believe there's something out there. Yeah. I do, I do think it's a little dangerous for us to be just sending messages out there. Right. All right. right. Let's, like, you know. Right. Uh, That's wandering into the dark house <laughs> and going straight up to the attic and go, is there anyone in here? Right. Whether you saw something or not, I would I bring a bright flashlight. Yeah. I would explore. Right moment, Silently. Look for something to come to me. Be a fly on the wall. You don't. Yeah, exactly. You don't walk into a giant dark house and go, "Hello, <laughs> anyone here? Right. I'm here on the first floor. <laughs> I mean, I can't see anything, door. but I'm very well lit at the front door. Very exposed. Right. I'm right here. You can see me. I cannot can't see, see <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. We are right now in space, but. <laughs> With that said, Fredo, I'll see you right back here next Monday for yet another mystery.